Welcome back to the Returning to Oneself podcast. I am Mish. I'm Emma. And every two weeks, us, a special guest, will help you to understand how and why you are abandoning yourself. So if you are someone that lacks self-confidence, feels stuck hating their body, and is constantly striving to change yourself into a smaller version, whether that be physically and or emotionally, this podcast is for you. With our and our guests' experience and expertise, not only will you be reminded that you are not alone in this struggle, but there is hope that you can go from disconnected from yourself and your body to being reconnected. Stick with us as we teach you how you can return to yourself and finally reach a place where you are at peace with yourself, your life and your body. Hello and welcome to another episode and today we are being joined by Hattie who is a menopause consultant and a host of the podcast Real Menopause Tour. Welcome Hattie. Welcome Hattie, we're so excited to have you. Good evening, it's so lovely to be here and to meet you both. So Hattie, we always start with a couple of questions that we haven't prepared you for. But they're fun. We can breathe into that. So we can get to know you a little bit better and also our listeners get to know you a little bit better. We would love to know two interesting facts about you. And second, if you were a cartoon character, who would you be and why? Oh, good questions. And really tough. Interesting. Now everything's fallen out of my <laughs> head. I can't That's think of normal. anything That's normal. at all. I used to ride a motorbike, but I haven't done since... I think it would be about 17 years ago, but I used to. I started off my career, I suppose, as a producer. So I worked in film and TV and advertising, which I loved. It gave me the opportunity to travel to all sorts of places. The Ukraine, for example, that I would never probably have had the opportunity to visit and loved it. It was a fascinating, brilliant job, but one that I felt is much better suited to somebody who is single, or not with children that they want to spend time with Mm. Um, because of the travel and the long hours. I have no doubt there are people that make it work really well, but I became a single mother and changed my career from there. And then a cartoon character. See, I want to go straight away to the Marvel comics and I really want to be She-Hulk, not the Disney version right now, the original proper drawing amazing wild green hair properly proper muscular strong awesome she hulk oh i love that and i see that and it really connects (laughs) i don't know to be honest with you i could easily see you like that because i know you i know how hard you train and i know that you can push yourself a lot when it comes to getting out of your comfort zone and I do think that you have a strong work ethic so yeah I I see that I would put that back at you we just need to show off white torn up dress and 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 the green skin but (laughs) maybe we'll save that I'll start with the green skin how about that (laughs) because it's Halloween (laughs) so you have a podcast and we're gonna get to that shortly but let's start with you personally we want to know how do you relate to self abandonment what is your experience like with that i first saw this question and was like oh my god that's huge that is such a big question no pressure and fascinating and no pressure at all (laughs) i had to think about what it was and what it meant and i hope i've interpreted it correctly. So how have I experienced it? I think it's kind of been my default 
since as long as I can remember. I haven't had a connection until recent years with myself physically and emotionally, whenever, and, and I know I'm not alone with this, emotionally, if somebody ever hurt my feelings, I would just pretend that I didn't care. I, ne I would never let anybody know that they had hurt me or treated me badly in some way. And a lot of people have in very surprising ways when something bad has happened, it's not necessarily just been the event, but somebody has showed up to sort of twist the knife almost. So I wonder what that's about. But physically, it showed up very much in my 20s as how bad could I make myself feel to appear really tough to people? So my peer group all smoked a lot. This is 25-ish years ago, I suppose. Yeah, we could still smoke in offices. That's how long ago it was. Or certainly it was towards the end of that. And we would smoke and we would drink. So in advertising film, when we weren't preparing for a shoot, it was very much encouraged to take out clients or important in inverted commas people for lunch and dinner and drinks and lunch and dinner and drinks and so we would smoke and drink and drink and smoke and smoke and drink. I think I lived mostly off coffee, cigarettes and alcohol and the next day invariably I'd wake up and feel absolutely dreadful and light up a cigarette just to show that I was tough and I could handle it. I mean it's such a load of nonsense now I look back on it. Why would you do that? But I did, it was the way I operated and and I'd kind of show everybody that I wasn't affected by this, which is utter bullshit, but that was, that was how I wanted to be. And I kind of created this level, this standard, this bar for myself that was so low that I didn't realize I felt like shit after a while. It was just the way that I felt. Mm. And it hasn't been until I stopped smoking now 19, nearly 20 years ago and drink less and exercise and eat food and eat well that I've realized you can feel really good and feeling good is great. You can function better. You can be a nicer human being. I mean, being nearly 50, your metabolism is different. You recover slower than you used to. Your hormones are at different paces than they used to be 20, 25 years ago. But still, I would prefer to feel good then feel like crap. And if I feel like crap, I'll try mostly to make myself feel better. There are days where I might overeat and then, oh, the wheels have fallen off. So I'll just carry on and eat some more because it's comforting and more fun. But I know that's not really benefiting me. And eventually I'll get myself back into feeling good. I mean, Hattie, it seems like I always had this picture of Mad Men, you know, that series that was all about advertising and everyone was smoking, having sex, drinking all the time. And it was so normalize I guess in that environment in that industry in a way and I'm really curious about that hardness that you had to show that you felt like you had to appear like everything was was okay and I think we see this again in, in how we function now on social media for example we have to appear like everything's okay we've got our life together we, we feel good in ourselves everything's happy and it's just another way of not wanting to show that vulnerability of not wanting almost to be authentic and see all these different sides of us but it's it's so interesting how there's still that that mirroring of just not being able to show what really is going on and how we really are feeling about something well certainly when you were on set it was a predominantly male environment and even behind the scenes or the company that I worked for 
I was freelance, but the one that sticks in my mind was predominantly men. And the women who did work there were very petite and very beautiful. And that's not my currency. It never has been. Not to say that they used it as such, but I just don't fit into that mold. So I chose a different way to express myself as being somebody who didn't care mm. almost that more alpha energy in mm. a way yeah which is so interesting it's almost like okay where do i where can i fit into this i don't know but physically fit into this or what what might be your opinion of that okay so what is the other dominant type of personality of being and it's all about you know how do we fit in how do we be acceptable to everybody else that's so so interesting to hear that what i hear from that is the power to adapt to situations we don't have answers to necessarily so mm -hmm. things like environment and us having to or us being exposed to uh, some type of environment we have to figure out how to behave right in those type of situations especially at young age like in your 20s like you're just figuring things out you are just experiencing things for the first time in some ways so and I think this really kind of connects with something that comes up for my clients personally a lot which is they often find themselves in positions or situations that they are experiencing for the first time and they don't have answers to and that can bring up a lot of uncertainty and a lot of anxiety but I always tell them that as humans we have this super strength just like superhero <laughs> or a marvel character which is the innate strength to adapt and this is a great example of that like you had to adapt and you did that and it helped you to get through that but <laughs> for the cost of you sacrificing your your own health and mm -hmm. and not treating yourself the way you 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 needed to actually we've heard a little bit about the ways that you've been self-abandoning in the past and also a little bit still now which I really resonate with those days where just tend to reach out to that food and then it just kind of spirals a little bit so I really I really resonate with that but I'm also really curious about your podcast and what behavioral habits do you hear or talk about on your podcast that are also signs of self-rejection, self-abandonment? Menopause is a very natural phase of life for everyone who is born with a uterus. It's just that it's not talked about enough. So for many of us, uh, certainly my age bracket, it came as a complete surprise. And with the surprise, the complete lack of comprehension as well as to what was going on. So it wasn't, oh, this is perimenopause. Oh, how strange. It was, what the hell is happening to me? I am losing my mind. I've got no sense of joy. I am irrationally anxious. Uh, the physical side, obviously there is that, but the, the mental side for many people is overwhelming to the point that very occasionally and in severe cases, women choose to take their own lives, which is really the driving point behind real menopause talk to get as much education out there and to support the menopause mandate and menopause support so that that doesn't have to happen. And even if the woman herself doesn't recognize it, then perhaps her partner, her friends, her colleagues can. They can talk, they can intervene in a friendly way 
and either educate or support or both, ideally. One of the things that comes up time and time again that we often don't do as women is putting ourselves higher up the priority list. And that's not to say that men don't, but I certainly, with the women that I've been speaking to, you give and give and give. And actually, this is hormonally based. Oestrogen is higher in women than it is in men. And I know that's very binary, but just for simplicity's sake on a basic biological level. And that oestrogen makes you care more. So you give at work, you give to your neighbors, to your friends, to your partner, to your children, to your parents. And this can leave you feeling burnt out and exhausted and depleted. Particularly when you are in your forties, you are more likely to have children and parents who both need you and maybe a job as well and so you're being pulled in all sorts of different directions and you just don't take the time or maybe even don't notice to take the time to make sure that you are looking after yourself because you're so busy with everybody else actually menopause is the ideal time to stop and pause and the gradual depletion of estrogen means that naturally you don't care so much which does sound like yeah you don't you don't care about anybody anymore it's all about you um and you know what on some days maybe it is but on the whole it just means that you are able to put yourself back on the priority list and take care of yourself and that actually means that you're able to care for others better just like you said Emma earlier before we started before we came on to discuss you had chosen to prioritize your well-being so that you had enough to give this evening that's brilliant it's the opposite of self-abandonment but a huge number of women find themselves just at the bottom of the pile or even feeling almost as though they're invisible not just in society but amongst the people they care about at this time of life hattie i had no idea no, none whatsoever that menopause led to women taking their own lives Mm. What the fuck? The highest suicide rate in women in this country, in the UK, is the 40 to 55 year old woman who is most likely to be peri to postmenopausal. Wow. Do you. I'm going to ask a question here because it just popped up into my head, but I, I also wonder whether this has anything to do with also. If, if a woman's purpose has been so focused on being a caregiver, being a mother, having children, this is not every woman, right? We, we, we know that. But if suddenly your ability to do that is basically taken away because that's what menopause is, that's what's happening. Do you think there's also an aspect of that loss as well that can maybe contribute towards that maybe la lack of purpose, um, maybe contributing towards that? I think that is such an interesting question and one that collectively in our little perimenopause menopause bubble community uh, that we're really trying to address because it, for many i think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head because they feel more invisible less vital less vibrant less significant and without purpose we all need a purpose to thrive the flip side of that coin is almost an opportunity to reinvent yourself so yes. when you can get through the crappy bit and there are plenty of ways that you can either through medical intervention or diet and exercise or magic or you can use a combination of all three obviously but mindset is going to be where you you conquer your symptoms, maybe not solely, but that aspect of not having a purpose anymore. You're now free post-menopause of your cycle, 
so you don't have to bleed every month, which I know you can embrace it, you can enjoy it in some ways if you're spiritually connected, which I admire enormously. Also, it's a pain in the ass. It's a real hassle. <laughs> you have to think about what you're wearing, where you're going, all that kind of thing. So some days it's not so great. You're free of that. You go through almost a metamorphosis when you give yourself time. So you do care less. That whole idea of fitting in, you don't feel that you need that anymore. It's take it or leave it. You don't have to like me. I've spent most of my life being a real people pleaser and thinking, oh, well, I must do something, even if I don't really like it, because I need them to like me. They must like me. This person must like me. Now I'm good. If you don't like me, that's fine. I don't like everybody. Why on earth should everybody like me? It's not a problem. We can be civil to each other, but we don't have to like each other. So you get this space to become more authentically you, whatever that might be. And it might be more outspoken. It might be more reserved. It might be wearing bright colors. It might be wearing clothes that don't necessarily fit with your peer group. It could be any number of things, but you have this freedom to find a new purpose. Maybe even a couple of people that I spoke to a couple of weeks ago who've written this beautiful book called Wise Power, Shani and Alexandra, you find your true calling, your true purpose. And that goes beyond what you might have done with the rest of your life. First of all, I think I need my mom to listen to this episode. I'm recognizing a lot of the things you're describing with some of her experiences. I have so many questions as well that are coming to my mind as you're talking. It's so eye-opening. And in some way, I do feel a little bit frustrated that actually I am only learning about this now. And this is exactly what you talked about. There isn't enough of awareness around this, which is why you also said that when you started experiencing it, it was unexpected. So that tells me that for you, the symptoms were different to your normal you. Am I, am I understanding yeah. that right? How long did it take you before you connected the dots? I'm going to say about four years. Perimenopause can last anything from four to 12 years. It's basically the Ooh. run up. Menopause is the day, the anniversary of the end of your last period. So the vast majority of women cannot predict it. Mm -hmm. But if you stop having periods, you make it all the way through 12 months. That very day you are postmenopausal or menopausal. So perimenopause is a big run up and it doesn't have a guaranteed age. It has averages. So average is 41 and average menopause is between 51 to 55 but average 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 I don't know a human who is average I suppose yeah. it's useful to have a guideline yeah I remember a friend walking into the school playground saying oh I've just learned a word it's called perimenopause we were like oh great 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 no idea what it meant left alone and then I started working with clients who were in their mid to late 40s and saying they were menopausal and I thought okay well I need to be gentle with them I need to be careful I need to let them talk and listen and then I thought hang on this isn't good enough I'm not really serving them to the best of my abilities so I started studying it going through all the weirdness myself and it took another couple of years until I actually went oh hang on it's not just my clients it's me as well the thing is with lots of the symptoms, you can easily attribute them to stress, whether you have somebody around you who's not well or mm. work is driving you crazy or whatever it might be. So it's quite hard to unpick. But once you're aware, you can put strategies in place that help. Does that answer your question? No, for sure. For sure. It's just that I have 
literally hundreds of questions running through my head right now because everything you say I'm like wow oh my god I didn't know that the one thing that really is standing out for me is if there was anything that I knew about menopause the, the very little that I'm realizing now it was just about the physical aspect of this transition in women's life your your body's changing your hormones changing every physical symptom that comes with it but the one thing that I was ignorant to was the mental the emotional side of this transition when Emma brought up the sense of identity the, the identity that women often connect with which is being a nurturer being a carer being a giver I can only imagine and you probably talk about this on your podcast that that comes with a lot of grief that comes with a huge sense of loss losing a, a sense of yourself losing a part of yourself that has been huge but that was that's been part of you for the majority of your life and I can imagine that if you don't know how to navigate through that and if you don't even can't even recognize that or, or label that identify that it must be so confusing and so conflicting and so anxiety provoking and so I can imagine that it leads to the depression, which then, if not treated or addressed, brings the worst case scenario, as you mentioned already. Insomnia is also very common as a symptom. And if you couple that with anything, you're going to have a tougher time. Mm. And for many women, yes, when you don't know what's going on, the loss of the sense of self is crippling in many ways. Yeah. When you begin to recognize it and think, well, actually, there's a way through this and it is hormonally driven. If you remember puberty and your hormones are going up and down and up and down, but increasing, this is really second puberty. So hormones up and down and up and down and then they drop off and then they come back again and up and down and up and down. So it's very confusing because you've got estrogen receptors all over your brain, all over your body. And if they're not getting what they need or your testosterone drops and your progesterone isn't there enough to help you sleep, then it's just physiologically very confusing. So again, this is really why getting the education out there is going to hopefully soothe women into recognizing what's happening and then understand that it's not frightening at all. This is actually a really positive sign. Going into the chrysalis can be scary. It can be uncomfortable, just like the butterfly. And breaking out of the chrysalis itself looks painful. It looks awkward. And you can help women. You can't help the butterfly, otherwise they can't can't fly but you can help the women you can support the women as they break through their cocoon and we've got possibly another half of our lives afterwards which is really exciting it's not a disease and mm. it's not end of life this is a midlife bump in the road that can be managed and lead to the best part the chinese call it the second spring i love that i literally got goosebumps all over my body the second Whoa. spring oh i'm gonna hang on to that i'm gonna Do. hang on to that it's something to look forward to i i feel like there is this conversation with you, Hattie, like Mish said, I, makes me feel completely like I have no idea about menopause whatsoever. Like I thought I did, but I really don't. But in that way, it is, I can see how there's, there's always this negative side that's portrayed. Mm -hmm. Oh, hot flashes, all these symptoms, insomnia, all of this. And so it's almost like I can imagine 
if you're aware of that, there's almost like a resistance. Like, I don't want to feel these things. I don't want to have these hot flashes. I don't want to have this insomnia. And therefore, it doesn't open yourself up to that possibility of, as you said, that that second spring of that going into that chrysalis and redefining yourself and coming out. And so, I, I don't know, I'm just completely seeing menopause as so different now, not to take away from the difficulties. I'm sure that does come with it. But it's an opportunity. And, and I love that. But I was also thinking earlier what you were saying about your experience of self-abandonment of not being connected with yourself physically and almost cutting yourself off from the experiences of emotion or whatever was happening in you or your health and how you were feeling. And I know that Mish and I, with our clients, we experience a lot of women who are very cut off from themselves and their experiences. So I can imagine that when menopause starts to happen, that if you are disconnected from your body and what's happening, it could be such a shock but again it's almost like that opportunity of like oh I didn't realize I was so disconnected and it's maybe again another opportunity to reconnect yeah it's like a double-edged sword I feel like it's in one end it's an opportunity to reconnect but in the other end it must make it very hard to kind of process everything that's happening if you are disconnected one thing that I have heard time and time and time again and I'm very inclined to agree with particularly because my principal educator, an amazing woman called Jenny Burrell, said that menopause shines a light on everything. There is nowhere to hide. If you've got issues from the past, if you have a disordered relationship with food, if you have perhaps self-abandonment issues, they're going to come up in some way. Now is the time to address them face on and move along. I feel like you've pretty much talked about and explained the challenges for women going through this stage of life. I'm curious to hear from you. How does this experience change the perspective women have of themselves? How does it change the their sense of self? And how could you reframe it? How could you navigate through it so that they feel a little bit more empowered rather than disempowered by something they would not choose? It just happens for them. It's a process, just like the butterfly. And there's no quick fix. I know there's a lot in the media at the moment about HRT. Some women can't take it. Some women choose not to take it. And for some women, it just doesn't agree with them. If you do choose to take it, you can't H you can't out HRT poor lifestyle choices. So looking after yourself is going to be number one. You're going to need to exercise and it's going to have to be weight bearing exercises. It doesn't have to be powerlifting, but using strength is going to be important mm. nutrition is going to be key eating enough protein which we don't tend to do very well in this country you know with the toast for breakfast and the sandwich with an avocado i love avocado it is food of the gods but there's not enough protein in it on its own um and then you know whatever it is for dinner and the snacks so focusing on what is going to keep your blood sugar stable and looking after your nutrition is going to be key. You're going to need to make choices around caffeine and alcohol. For me, caffeine is non-negotiable first thing in the morning. I love it. I like the ritual. It's my choice. Poor choice. It's my choice. <laughs> um, and alcohol. <laughs> 
alcohol every night is not going to do your night sweats or hot flashes any good. So if there's anyone listening who knows somebody or who is experiencing it, I'm not saying give up alcohol unless that's your choice. I'm just saying maybe go for three or four days or a week without it and see what happens and then make your informed choices. If you want to then go out to dinner and have some wine, do you need the whole bottle to yourself? Or are you going to have the whole bottle and suffer the consequences and go, well, I really enjoyed that. Brilliant. But if you're not going to enjoy it, don't do it. So it's making little choices. Sleep, sleep, do all your sleep hygiene, no screens before bed, make it a cool room, but with warm covers, if you need the warm covers, wear cotton or breathable fabrics. If you want to wear clothes in bed, give yourself time and space, make sure you have a ritual around going to bed so that you get optimal sleep. That's going to make a huge difference. And then we're coming on to sexual wellness as well, which is often portrayed as something that you just kind of, it drops off the cliff as you get older. And sex can become painful because your skin can get drier all over your body. So eyes, skin, vagina, vulva, everything can get very dry. And so that can make sex quite painful for some women. So they're, they're not interested. There are solutions. There are water-based lubes that are available. There are all sorts of estrogen, um, estrogen optimizing creams. You can look after yourself. And once you've got sleep, nutrition and movement, then often the sexual well-being and the libido will come back up. And then if you're going down the HRT route, advocate for testosterone with your GP. It is very hard to get it in this country on the NHS. You have to say that you have no sex drive and no libido. That is the little loophole where the NHS can provide testosterone for you. Otherwise it's down to a private clinic, but not many people can afford that. I, I feel like I've gone so far off track. No, no, no. You no, this is so, I'm so like helpful. taking notes for the future. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to suffer is really the key. You don't have to. When you notice symptoms, there are ways to manage it and actually maybe not sail through life because life is going to throw you all kinds of stuff anyway. You will, okay, I speak for myself because I don't want to doom and gloom anybody. I have days where I just feel like sobbing for no reason and that's okay. It's, it's not day after day after day. It's one day here and there, so I can live with that. I have days where I want to eat everything in my path, normally before my period, because I'm still menstruating, and that's okay. And I manage it. It's when you have no joy and no sex life and feel like crying all the time that that needs attention. So the odd day here and there that I think that's just the way life goes. Sometimes you wake up and it's all a bit shit and then it will get better. Talking to friends is actually one of the proven techniques. So surround yourself with good women and it will make you feel better just to be heard and seen and understood. Even being able to name what you're feeling is so important. So then moving through that, it, it then just happens. The process takes you on this journey almost unawares, particularly for the psychological aspect. You start to sense that something's changing and you can't quite put your finger on it. But over time, because it, it is a lot of years potentially, then 
you just look at things a little bit differently. I do love that aspect of kind of still moving towards joy. You know, as you said, your choice around like your coffee in the morning, which I assume it's a coffee, it is. is about choosing that joy. You know that there's a that there could be a consequence for your experience in your body, but it's that for you, it's the joy aspect. And so that comes up on top. With that sexual wellness, it's about again allowing that joy to come back in by finding solutions, by not seeing everything as a limitation. And they're simple solutions often, and they don't have to cost money. You can eat really well, really cheaply, and you can move by going for a walk in nature, breathing in some fresh air, as fresh as it gets in London, but seeing some greenery. It doesn't have to cost money. You don't have to go and throw the bank at it. And I think it's really good that you know, hopefully this message around the HRT and asking for that testosterone through letting people, the doctors know that there is low libido, low sex drive, that in itself means that that support is going to become more accessible as well, rather than it only being accessible to people who can afford that private care. Mm -hmm. That's so powerful. Mm. We have taken a lot already from you, Hattie, like we have like soaked this information up, but we're also really curious about what you think is maybe a first essential step for women of, of your generation, of those who are going through perimenopause, menopause, to start showing up for those that are younger? I think, first of all, we have to show up for ourselves. And like when that. we show up for ourselves and be our authentic, genuine selves, then we can lead by example. Following that, we need to talk to you. We need to be open and honest about this life process. And it is just biology and nature so that there's no mystery around it and no surprise and also no scaremongering because you wouldn't want to scare a nine or 10 year old about puberty and getting their period. Also, it's going to happen. So you're not going to be able to dodge it. It is going to happen. So we just need to arm you with ways to manage symptoms should you get them. There will be women who don't experience any symptoms. There will be some who struggle with the cognitive side, who struggle with the physical side. There will be others who have both. And the symptoms, they're little beasts. They come and go, so they keep you guessing. And you might have a period of time where you don't sleep very well, but everything else is great. Well, you know, as good as it can be when you're not sleeping. And then you might have hot flashes. You might never have a hot flash in your life. There are so many permutations. And officially, I think it stands at 38 or maybe 45 different symptoms. But we know that actually there are more than 70, which is why they're so hard to unpick as well. So some of the tinnitus and oversensitivity to loud sounds and noises, itchy skin, dry eyes and they're the sort of more left field ones oh god i feel like i'm having those already though <laughs> <laughs> it's you it can be burnout you can be life it can be perimenopause it's just good to be aware so being honest to ourselves and being honest with ourselves and sharing this information with you the whales and orcas respect their elder females because of their lived experience and their knowledge and they know how to look after the baby orcas and whales and narwhals. We need to do that for our species. We need to be able to 
share our lived experience and look after you. I love that. And I knew there was a reason that orcas are my favorite. Emma just made a <laughs> Emma just made an old whales and orca. They are so wise. <laughs> I love that. Honestly, I'm also reading this book at the moment called um, Women Who Run With The Wolves and how... It's a these... hard book to read. Oh, Re- it's really tough. Really difficult book tough, to I'm read. I'm not going to lie. I'm taking it slow. I didn't. It's, I didn't, it's intricate. I didn't achieve it. <laughs> it was looking at why, you know, certain species have kind of been pushed out and it's that, you know, their connection with that kind of older, wise woman and knowledge of the land, their knowledge of everything is, you know, in this world, not seen as very useful here and now hustle grind and so I think it's it's so interesting to kind of bring that idea of those animals back in and learn from from them and try and apply that yet again to to ourselves and I love that. Hattie you talked about one element essential for well-being being community and connecting with good women and connecting with 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 other women uh, over mutual experiences right over similar experiences and i think this is something that i really appreciate about our podcast because we connect with women of different ages of different backgrounds of different experiences and so today we've got you and last week we had a guest who was in her early 20s so for me personally it's been a while since I was that age so things might have changed and I (laughs) I like to understand what people at that age right now are going through um my question for you is what what do you think that women are encouraged to live by that is actually really harmful for their ability to thrive? And you can look at your generation or you can, you can look back at your younger years. There are two things that immediately spring to mind. One of them is kind of living on a time scale. So in your 20s, you're expected to get a job that you love that is going to be your career. Maybe in your early 30s, late 20s, you're expected to have children, whether you want them or not. Not really really given that choice oh do you have children it's kind of it's actually a very personal question when the answer could be no I can't or no I've chosen not to it, it's just assumed um, and then in your 40s you're supposed to do this and 50s and so you have a time scale for job marriage children whatever it is uh, making a certain level of salary perhaps I don't think that's healthy I don't think that's productive Yes, we have biology. I know so many women who are having babies in their 40s that, and healthily, and with energy, and vibrantly, and whether that's through IVF or through natural processes, that's up to them and the world and whatever arrives. So I I feel that is expected of us, and I would argue more than men. I don't think that's positive at all. I think we should be allowed to live our lives and see what happens and see what works for us. The other thing is aging itself. And I don't know how it lands with a 20 year old at the moment. But with those of us in our 40s, 50s, we've very much been brought up to believe that we should age gracefully. Gosh, I was talking about this to a friend the other day. At a certain point, we were supposed to cut our hair off. You can't have long long hair past maybe 40 or something. I disagree. I'm gonna wear mine as long as I like for as long as I like, but we have to behave in a certain way. We have to dress a certain way. And even in emails, it's suggested if it's for a 40 plus woman, that this is really what you should look like and how you should behave. And yet we're not allowed to look 
older than a 20 year old. We're encouraged to maintain ourselves in such a fashion that we don't show our age, but we have to behave a certain way. It's all very mixed messages. And I believe at the moment we're trying to change that and say that aging, well, I agree very much that aging itself is a privilege. Getting older is a privilege. What I don't want to do is go into decline. So I need to make those choices again and sleep, eat, move as well as I can for as long as I can. So the messages are very mixed around, are you allowed to age? Are men allowed to age? Are women allowed to look older? But how much older? And then Botox, are you allowed it? Are you not allowed it? And it's all this permission from society, which yes. again, we shouldn't really be seeking. It, it's our own choices. Yeah. Have you always seen aging as a privilege or did it change at some point for you? No, that's a newer, a, a very much a newer perspective. Mm -hmm. Aging has been this almost horrible secret that you kind of shove into the corner and mm -hmm. make it scuttle away because it's faded and drab and just probably doesn't smell very nice either. Yeah. I think when you talk about the aging uh, in regards of like people in their 20s, I think it influences everybody, but perhaps some more directly than others. So for example, what I see on social media is women in their early 20s getting preventive um, Botox because there's a narrative. Yes, because there's a there's a false narrative. It's, it's false. It's not, it's not scientifically proved that if you get preventive Botox, which means way before, years before you actually start getting wrinkles, you will get fewer wrinkles, basically. So this is the indirect impact on women when it comes to aging right but there are so many products helping you to stay young looking and almost like a teenager which is really concerning if you ask me because men or patriarchy or society expect women to look like 90 year olds 18 year olds but at the same time like you cannot stop aging so it's weird it's weird it's weird to me. It's really icky. Like the whole fact that our biological timeline is almost is used against us in so many in so many ways. And that it's seen as a timeline, that the clock is ticking, you know, and, and so much more for women. Um, but I, I think we often don't realize how still so ingrained this timeline is. Like even for myself, I didn't realize how ingrained. And I think it also comes from looking at what your parents have done, mm -hmm. right? So that is your concept of what should happen. Not that everybody takes that in for themselves, but I've noticed recently that I've actually been really afraid that next year I'm going to be 29. And then after that, I'm going to be, I never thought that I would be afraid of that. And I don't want to be afraid of that. I want to really embrace it. it I don't when you least expect it. <laughs> Please don't be afraid of it. Um, no. Personally, for me, 30 was a horror show, but I had had the worst year. I'd got divorced, my dad died, I moved house and changed job. I think my decree absolute came through the day before my 30th birthday. I refused oh. to leave my apartment until my best friend dragged me out with a bottle of champagne. And actually, <laughs> okay. 40 was even better and I can't wait to get to 50. So please don't be scared of, of 30. 30, 30 is, it's also, it's just a number, but it's Absolutely. Good. I think it's interesting. I think it's almost that the concern is because that I feel concern. I'm like, why, why do I feel? <laughs> but I'm, I'm just sitting with it. 
So we would love to know what you think the wider impact on the world would be if more women were to reconnect to themselves, if more women were able to understand this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be okay. I'm going to borrow with huge paraphrasing from the beautiful book that I mentioned earlier, Wise Power by Shani Hugo Wurlitzer and Alexandra Pope. They ask a question very early on about visioning and what would the world look like if. So if more women were to reconnect themselves. I feel, and feel free to imagine them with me, but we could imagine a world like the orcas, where women are appreciated fully, regardless of their age. Women are respected. Hormonal cycles are understood and respected in that if there is part of your cycle where you need to not have powerful meetings, where you need to be a little bit more quiet, perhaps do your emails, perhaps work from home, then that's understood. And it's not a get out clause, it's understanding and respecting the way that we work, which is more of a cyclical nature. And from all that respect, the young women all the way through could walk down the street safely without fear of being approached, harassed, hassled, God forbid anything worse, but they would be, they would be, they would feel safe. And the elders are held in high esteem because of their lived experience that we've talked about. And anyone could go to them to ask questions and they could answer them freely. So there would be a more fluid dynamic between all women and I would have thought with that, all humans, because we could just communicate more easily. I love that. And do you know what comes to my mind straight away of that connection between those different ages is that the possibility of just losing this ridiculous competition that women have between each other, which is really very much a function of kind of being a human, but also like the patriarchy and all that bullshit. <laughs> so that connection you know you said that fluid connection I can just almost imagine it from that very young age right up into that older age and all the wisdom and experiences that could be shared and I think it would also just normalize again a lot of different experiences and and, and open up the possibility for all these different experiences to be more okay with what we with what we come up against and we'd be able to connect not in the ways that we are dieting and making ourselves smaller but one day I feel okay and the next day I don't and that in itself I love that it's I very that. much a two-way conversation as well because what the elder end of the scale can learn from the younger is just as valuable as what the younger end of the scale can learn from the elder I find myself learning from my daughters I've got a 16 year old and a 10 year old I learn from them every single day either what the world is turning into or what they're doing or how they feel so many fascinating discussions so I'm learning from everyone else just as much as hopefully my kids are learning from me and then we, we've got a world full of brilliant wonderful women and if we all share our knowledge then you know it goes in every direction for me you could have left it at just women would be appreciated fully and if you just yeah. said that, it would be enough because I think it speaks for itself. But everything that you said afterwards really elevated it. So thank you so much for sharing that. I feel like so revitalized and energized after this conversation. I cannot tell you. It has been such a pleasure. Well, the feeling is mutual. Honestly, when you said you were really tired earlier, I was thinking, oh my God, so am I. I've been feeling really crummy all day. <laughs> but I know that I feel so much happier, so much better having met you both and talked 
talk to you both. So thank you very, very much for your time. Before we end this session, could you please share with us where listeners can find more about you, about your podcast? The website is realmenopausetalk.com. I'm on Instagram, also at realmenopausetalk. Anyone can email me, Hattie, which is H-A-T-T-Y, at realmenopausetalk.com. Go and listen to Hattie's podcast. I can only imagine it's full of more and more wisdom. Thank you for listening. We will see you next week for our next episode. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on Instagram at returning21self, where you can receive updates on our next episode release dates, topics, and where you can engage with us too. We would love for you to tag us if you found this episode resonated. Remember, you have and always will deserve to return to oneself.